Welcome to VCR, Vintage Cinema Rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Blake. I'm Jason. And Christmas isn't just a day, it's a frame of mind. And that's what's been changing. That's why we're glad we're here. Maybe we can do something about it. We're going to try our damnedest. Mm-hmm. And that quote comes from the 1947 version of Miracle on 34th Street, the movie that we're talking full spoilers today. And if you haven't seen this movie before, I highly recommend going back to the primer episode where we talk as spoiler-free as possible about a movie that's 80 years old almost, uh, which is really wild. Yeah, it seems older and also not that far in the distant past. Yes, and a lot of the topics of the film are very much so still relevant today, and some of them aren't because it was yes. made in 1947. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you need to remember that when you check out a movie from almost 80 years ago. Yep. So that being said, we're going to dive headlong into it, full spoilers. Where do you want to start? I I kind of was wanted to maybe muse on some of the, or highlight some of the performances of the film because that's the highlight for me, like I was saying in the prime yeah. episode. I would say uh, at the beginning, just our introduction to Chris Kringle is pretty great because I really just assumed that it was actual Santa and uh, he, which you kind of think the whole time anyways. Right. But well, he just has the look, right? Like yeah. he, I, I don't think there's any other movie Santa that quite looks like what, like the old school Santa that I would have in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's not as like fake as some Santas that you've seen. Like, for example, like some of the Coca-Cola Santas with their like really like bulging cheeks and like, right. And also not the like modern, like postmodern-y kind of Santas either, right? Yeah. Like the like Tim Allen, the Santa Claus, yeah. like take or, you know, bad Santa kind of style. Like it's it's a very, very traditional Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah. It feel he feels like the real Santa Claus, which is really absolutely does. great. Especially in our intro as he's coming into New York. Uh we see he's just on his jolly way, he sees a shop clerk arranging some reindeer in the window, and he like gets the clerk's attention. Is like uh, Donner doesn't like he's not in that position in the lineup of pulling my sleigh. He's over there, and Prancer should be there. And um, yeah, it just like. That and the, the, the like star right keeps away. like all right old man like yeah yeah just he's keep like on okay walking <laughs> <laughs> yeah and especially he's referencing like that's not where like i would it's like he is santa and yeah like he's personally just... offended by it right off the bat right <laughs> yeah. like he's like i like this is awful why are you doing yeah. this to me yeah like personally offended <laughs> but yeah no like this is to me this is like the definitive santa claus performance like mm-hmm. as far as movies go like you can you know like we talked about this a little bit in the prior episode you weren't necessarily as high up on this movie as i was and you know you could argue that some of the movie doesn't hold up maybe the uh, like i didn't have a problem with the pacing but you know maybe there's a spot here or there where the pacing's not mm-hmm. always like moving as quick as you'd like it to but there is absolutely nothing bad you can say about the performance of chris kringle and no film. exactly like he's so jolly he's so so true to the idea of santa claus he embodies the christmas spirit 
in everything. Yeah. And like when he sees the drunk Santa that's supposed to be the Santa for the Macy's Day float, he is just appalled that he's drunk and he's going to make it right and make sure the children don't have any negative impression or ne- any negative experience on such a great day for them. Yeah, and like you said, like even though he's this older man, like he's got this like youthfulness to him mm-hmm. that also like carries the character along throughout the film. Like it also kind of it helps lend to some of the like more wild moments of the movie as well. Like when he bonks the uh, <laughs> psychiatrist on the head, like that felt like a an honest reaction to a a like childlike Santa Claus, right? To be like yeah. bloop, like uh, yeah. He he wouldn't listen to reason, so he had to treat him like a like they were two kids on the schoolyard. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's just like, oh, it's it's just a really really good performance that well, I'm going to talk about some of the other performances too after this, but it's what really holds the movie together is is the belief that we don't honestly have a lot of evidence until the final scene of the film, whether or not this man is just like a really good stand in for Santa Claus or if he's the real deal. Right. Yeah. I guess until that very, well, no matter what, it doesn't matter what's proven or not. It's all about the belief. Yeah. And, uh, but you could come away with this either way. Yeah. Honestly, you could. And that's, that's kind of what's cool about it as well is that like, maybe this is just like a crazy old man who you know, really embodies what Santa is and mm-hmm. and you could kind of just be okay with that as well. Yeah. You know what? This this is actually a really good movie for like a let's say like an older sibling who knows the the truth. They think they know the truth, <laughs> but their younger sibling doesn't yet. This would be really good to show them so that they get that it doesn't matter as long as someone believes. Yeah. Let them believe. And that's kind of maybe what I, I meant too when, in the primer episode when I was recommending this because I was saying like teens to adults really and, and I really felt the adults part but I think that's where as a teenager I, I think that I would have appreciated something like this as well, right? Because yeah. again, it shines that light on like just a little bit of belief can go a long way sometimes. Yeah, and just even like just enjoying the holiday like yeah. focus yeah. on the little positive things and like the joy and the like the belief that kids have. Yeah, like uh, I would say that I'm a very rational person, but you know, sometimes you just have to like take a step back and just relax a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is a good movie for Scrooges. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. The next best performance in this movie to me is Susan. She's just an absolute Natalie Wood's just an absolutely yeah. adorable child. Like she's so cute. Like, mm-hmm. you know, her interactions with almost, I think every single other actor in this, like are, are really big highlight moments. And, and she's utilized really well. Right. Like, I think that in the 1994 version, like I, as a kid, you know, saw the character or the actor playing Susan, who actually was from Matilda. Like, I think, that's where you're going to know that actor mm, from. Right. But like, I, I looked at that as like a kid's movie and like, I was supposed to connect with that character, but I, I don't think we're ever really supposed to connect with Susan. I think really, or in a way that maybe we connect with her in like a, a nostalgic, like looking back at our childhood kind of way. But yeah. Susan's just like a, a really well utilized character for driving 
the narrative and all the rest of the characters through the story. Yeah. And she mentioned in real life that she thought that was uh, Santa at one yeah. point, during, <laughs> like during filming, like she didn't, she didn't know not to believe that even though like there was all this, like she was in so many scenes where she had to try and like, she was portraying a rational child. Um, mm-hmm. But she was like, I know this is fake. I'm just faking it for the cameras. Cause that's really Santa. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I mean, you can't really falter, right? Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I was eight years old and I spent a lot of time with the actor playing Chris Kringle, like I mm-hmm. would have been like, yeah. yeah, this is Santa. <laughs> yeah. And just what a cool on, memory, though, as a kid, though, yeah. as well, right? Like, being able to be like, yeah, like, the OG Santa was my Santa growing yeah, up. Yeah, know? exactly. Just on her performance, too, like, she was so, like, she seemed so genuinely suspicious of anything that was, like, make-believe. Like, she mm-hmm. fully portrayed her part perfectly to be that um, pragmatic child even yeah. though she believed that guy was Santa. <laughs> it's just so, like, yeah, she did great. The end scene when she got the house and... Um, oh my God, it's so cute. Like, yeah. And she's like, does it have a swing? It has a swing! Yeah, yeah. Like, I I teared up. Like, that was perfect. <laughs> yeah, so did I a little bit, yeah. <laughs> my my next favorite performance is actually Fred. I, I thought that Fred's character was really, like, really fleshed out really well. Like, he... Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, like he he really genuinely wanted to help Chris Kringle out. Yeah. You know, he's using Susan to get to Doris, but he also does genuinely like spending time with Susan. Like he's just, yeah. I don't know, there's just, there's something about the way that he's portrayed that I thought was really effective as well. He's charming and disarming. <laughs> and That's a great way to put it. He's very yeah. disarming. Yeah, and I think that intro scene of him hanging out with Susan just because she's a neighbor kid and she's alone at home and he just wants mm-hmm. to like hang out with her, make sure she's happy and whatnot because the Macy's Day Parade is on and he has a window that she could see it from. Yeah, I like think, a better window. Yeah, like I think that's all just a um, sign of the times where like in movies at that time, that would have been like romantic that he used the kid to get to the, the mom. Yeah. And we look at it so much like through such it's a grosser. It's a little bit more manipulative, right? Yeah. Although yeah. on it kind of like, it's also kind of disarmed too in that scene because you know, like it kind of feels like that might be what be what's happening. But then afterwards, Susan's like, did I do a good job, Fred? Like, yeah. And that, that kind of like breaks some of the tension of that, of that yeah. weirdness as well. Exactly, yeah. And there's a few scenes that made me question, like, wow, like, the times have changed so much. The other one, I guess, would be when um, Chris Kringle stays at Fred's house and they just share a bedroom together. And, like, mm-hmm. like that seemed natural to them. But when I was watching it, I was like, like, did people really, like, just meet a stranger and then invite them in? And they're like, oh, I have an extra bed. Like, I mean, I, I feel like my room. traveling hobos was more of a thing back then. So yeah. I don't know, maybe it was also weird because Fred has like a, like a two bedroom, a, like, or not a two bedroom, a one bedroom, like two double Bed. beds, yeah. right? Like in a room together like that. That was really strange. It seemed like he like just moved in and it was furnished or something. And maybe, yeah, maybe like you can overthink it, but it was still like an interesting 
throwback to something like it made me question like what was it like back then yeah yeah that's a good point i think like doris's performance as well is is really good but i think that she's just kind of the other performances are just you know a a step above her like i i'm always going to remember chris kringle's performance susan's absolutely adorable i really really liked fred and then you know doris is is good but like it's a movie full of really powerful performances yeah yeah almost no characters take you out of it like the macy's guy he was a good portrayal of a capitalist and but he still had that's where like whoever chris kringle interacted with he softened them a little bit yeah which was great to see from each of the characters except for the psychologist (laughs) right yeah yeah which he just like he, you know, he gives him kind of a chance, right, in the first yeah. scene that he shares with him, and then when he fully like realizes that this character is kind of irredeemable, he mm. bumps him on the head. <laughs> has nothing else to do with them. But what I, I actually want to take a step back. What you're saying about the capitalism or the capitalist look at this movie, I think that's something that's really interesting to discuss today. Yeah, it's a huge because, theme because yeah, it's a massive theme of the film, and it's also like. It's just a really interesting look to reflect back on like almost 80 years in the future. Like, you know, the ideas of capitalism at this point in time and the capitalist view of Christmas, because, you know, up until you and I just started recording this, we didn't know, you and I didn't even know how long, how far back Christmas as a capitalist vehicle mm-hmm. has has been around for, right? Yeah. It's really fascinating. And that's where the janitor has like a really good line of like, it's just all about a buck kind of thing. Like make yeah. a buck, make a buck. Like that's yeah. a really good scene. I, I thought it was really fascinating that like he says to Chris Kringle, like the store manager says to Chris Kringle, like, you know, I want you to, this is the list of all the stuff that we haven't really sold yet. Like yeah. this is kind of what you need to push for us kind of thing. Yeah. We and bought then, too many of these toys. So you have to push them on yeah. the kids if they don't know what they want. And and uh, as a note, like it, this is where I think the screenplay, and I'm probably going to bring the, the screenplay up uh, a few more times in the story. The story is really tightly written, right? Because mm. it explains like, okay, well, Chris Kringle doesn't really share that opinion. Like he finds that pretty gross and capitalistic. Mm-hmm. And so as, as Santa in the, the store, he's telling people, oh, you know, like your kid wants this toy. We don't have that here, but... Oh, this toy's you. You can pick this toy up just down the street at what's the other store called? Gobles. Uh, Gables. Gables. Yeah. So, and he's just like recommending other stores, right? And so, fr- from a capitalist standpoint, like that's that's a big old no, right? Like, why would you send somebody to go to a different store because you know you can't buy that? But like, yeah. it actually as as a long term idea, it's really cool, and it plays out in the film that everyone's just like, oh, like I'm really grateful that like your Santa Claus is you know so helpful to us because yeah. like w- we really want that toy. And, you know, rather than being greedy, you're just you're sending us to a store that actually might be able to carry this for us. Like, it's really helpful. It's really it's a really human experience that we're that you're kind of sharing with us here. Right. Yeah, exactly. And um, like we really get to see that scene where the like Macy's like the owner actually or the president, whatever. Actually, it was the owner. Uh, yeah. The MH, HR, M- Macy. HR. Yeah. Macy. He's like, um. R.H. Macy, sorry. <laughs> yeah, we'll um, we'll basically pretend that we're putting the public before profit. That's at, like what we'll say, even though that means 
like we'll make more profit than ever by doing that yeah like that line was great but yeah the just overall that scene was pretty awesome all of the scenes where he's the like santa claus in the macy's are all like pretty good like Mm -hmm. you know there's a really heartwarming experience when with the dutch girl yeah with the dutch girl like that's a really genuinely nice scene right like where this this girl's just been adopted like this is post-war america and Mm -hmm. you know she's lost her parents in the war she's been adopted by these americans and she doesn't speak any english and like it's this really sad story and then you know like the the woman's like you know like she just wants to like sit here with santa like she that's that's all she wants right now right and then santa whips out his like you know full dutch uh language yeah uh, did you look up what he actually said or what she asked for? Um, I do have that in here. Do you do you do you have it? Do you want I to just, say it? Yeah, yeah. So basically, uh, little Dutch girl comes up and she he starts speaking with her in Dutch and she just lights up and she's yeah. like, "You really are Santa Claus." And um, he keeps going with it and they sing a song together, like a traditional Dutch Christmas song, and then. Mm-hmm. She he asks, "What would you like for Christmas?" And she said, "I don't need anything. I was just adopted." Like, and that's when she like points over at her mom, like, and like that was just so heartwarming. You didn't even yeah. need to know the language to see how like great that was. But just knowing mm-hmm. that she asked, or she's like, "I don't want anything because I got what I wanted." And, yeah, um, yeah, that was just. It's a just... really special moment, honestly. Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> really, really memorable. Like, and Susan's watching this whole thing play yeah. out. Yeah, Susan sees that, and she's like, "This has to be the real Santa." Yeah, and then we get like you know one of the most iconic scenes of the movie too, when when she sits on Santa's lap and and she's like, "Oh, you probably don't even have a real beard," and he's like, "No, no, yeah. no, this is a pretty real beard." And then she pulls on his beard, right, and he re- the, his his reaction's pretty funny too. Yeah, yeah. And that was actually like an improvised reaction on his part because he wanted he wanted Natalie Wood to be like genuinely like surprised by how he reacted to it. Yeah, yeah. Like you could tell she was like jumped back a little bit and was like, "Oh, it's real." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a really great moment. That's actually something that I do remember from like the remake being, you know, one of the highlights of the film. And that's what I think if if you have seen any clips of either of these films, that's probably one of the clips that you would have seen in yeah, the past yeah. is like the pull of Santa's beard. Mm. It's it's a really iconic moment. Definitely. The psychiatric evaluation scenes actually really funny. Like Santa's just basically like, and especially when, you know, he starts doing like the physical like yeah, abilities. Yeah. He's just like, you know, he's just having fun. He's just being jolly there. And like the psychiatrist is having none of it. And then he starts like evaluating the psychiatrist is really, like, yeah. it's really good scene. Like, and he's memorable. like accurate in all of it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. For sure. And again, like, I love that they make you question while you're watching if he, like the real Santa, if he came into the real world, of course he'd be questioned by psychologists. So of course he would know all of their questions and how to answer them to pass. Right. Well, he's also been alive for hundreds of years too, right? Like, yeah, yeah. you know, he's probably like the best trivia partner you could ever oh, have. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not even fair, but yeah. yeah. Um, 
also someone who had been in and out of psych wards their whole life would also know the questions. So it's like, that's a good point actually. And he said, he actually says earlier in the movie that he's been evaluated several times before as well. Right. So like there's the, there is enough like doubt. It's just, I think on the flip side, because Chris Kringle, Chris Kringle, because Chris Kringle, try saying Chris Kringle 10 times fast, um, is portrayed so well by Edmund Gwen that for us as viewers, like, it's just like, no, that's Santa. But I think like if, if the performance wasn't so authentic and strong Mm -hmm. that maybe there would be more doubt as a, by the viewer kind of thing. Yeah. And I love that they, they toe the line of doubt as well, because you're never doubting that he's doing this for nefarious purposes. Mm-hmm. Not that you have to, I guess, but like he's pretending to be potentially pretending to be the actual Santa Claus. And you might think that he's pretending to be insane for gain or something right. like that. But like when you're watching it, you're just like, the question is, is there a real Santa or not? And then the answer is, it doesn't matter because yeah. like somebody embodies Christmas enough that of course there can be a real Santa. Yeah, and, and that that kind of speaks to some of the bigger ideas of the film as well, like even bigger ideas than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little like piece of trivia here as well that I found really funny, like after these kind of scenes where they rehire him and they're trying to find like a place for Chris to stay while he's working there. Mr. Mm. Shellhammer's like, oh, I'm going to get my wife uh, yeah. really drunk so that I can <laughs> convince her to have Chris stay here. So this is a very small detail, and I didn't actually notice this while I was watching it, but something to pick up on next time. So he made her martinis, right? And so yeah. there was a toothpick bes- on the table beside the phone for each martini she drank. And <laughs> and he said he was pouring her triples, right? Yeah. There were nine toothpicks beside the telephone. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so Mrs. Shellhammer could barely walk that yeah. uh, that December day. <laughs> That's so funny. Apparently there's... So just overall for the film, there were deleted scenes. And I'll talk about that a bit later. But um, mm-hmm. one of the deleted scenes had to do with the martinis. But uh, just in history, martini time was like a new thing in New York after the war Mm. because they became big during the Prohibition. But then um, just with all the like post-war joy and like progress that they were making, martini time became a real thing. But uh, overall, when it came to watching this scene, even just as soon as the guy mentioned, I'm going to get my wife drunk. I was like, that's another old time thing that you can't just, (laughs) you can't tell your boss, I'm going to get my wife hammered tonight. (laughs) (laughs) And she's not, I'm not even going to like, I'm going to pour them doubles and not tell her like, yeah, that's, it's, it's, that's risky. (laughs) (laughs) How risque of this Christmas movie uh, in 1947. Yeah. That's funny. (laughs) I feel like Santa being committed is, like, also one of those things that's, like, also you don't really see that often. Like, obviously you don't see Santa Mm. being committed in every movie, but, like, 
Being you see him go to jail, and people are like, "All right, what's your real name? What's your, where's your address?" And he's like, "I'm from the North Pole." It's like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, just okay, in, but what I'm... I mean in general is like, you don't like in movies the idea of like somebody being committed and sent to the mental hospital doesn't really happen anymore. Like that's not really like a trope True. that gets used very often anymore because we don't really have a whole lot of mental hospitals anymore. No, like, we've defunded them, and it's been horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that speaks to a bigger problem in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. but like it's also just like something that's like also kind of wild just to just to see play out in in this movie right like yeah and and it's also funny too because you're like well how did how did he end up here like all of his answers are perfect and 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 then he's like well you know i just bullshitted basically for all of the questions because i was just so like upset over my betrayal from doris that yeah i said screw it basically what's the point yeah and that that's really the lowest point that Chris has in the entire movie, right? Like and it's it's Fred, freaking Fred. I love Fred. Yeah. Uh, yeah. who like pulls it pulls it out right right where he's like, I'm gonna like, you know, I'm gonna be the one to represent you. I'm getting you out of here, like we're bringing Christmas back, yeah. kind of thing. He even quit his law firm because they were like, You're going too far with this and he's like, If if you can't believe in something while you're work like within your work then why are you working with those people or like in that system so he's like like that's pretty progressive as well just like believing in people yeah it's a really like noble cause honestly like i really i really really liked fred's performance and like again the screenplay of the writing of fred yeah he was was great he was the perfect like conduit character between the pure common sense from Doris and Susie and then Santa Claus being potentially insane and like just fully (laughs) believing himself. So he's right there in the middle and he's, he's looking at it the way the audience is almost supposed to look at it. Like he is kind of the one who pulls everything together really. Yeah, definitely. And then kind of after that, we get into probably one of the more iconic acts of the film, which is Santa going to, to court right it is the supreme court is it the supreme court of new york i believe so like i'm pretty sure it went all the like i'm pretty sure that is the supreme court yeah i don't know because just like a hearing right like it well they have a hearing and then they go to um they go past the hearing well i'm just gonna have to watch this movie again i guess <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know i it's just like it, it and then it like you know it expands the characters again and all of the characters at court are really great like oh the, yeah uh, district attorney is great and like and the they're judge like, oh like yeah the judge is great like and and you know like to the district attorney they're or no to the judge he's like talking to his political advisor and his political advisor is like, man, like you really don't want to be like prosecuting Santa at this time of year. Like this is going to tank your political career. Was right? that not R.H. Macy? No, no, it was, uh, it was the advisor to the judge, his political advisor. And he's like, Oh, like you don't want to get, like you want to get be- voted back in. Right. You, you can't be. See, I was assuming that R.H. Um, Macy was the one who propped up the judge politically with like goodwill and no no like that was not. a different guy that was uh no that was just his political advisor and so his political oh. advisor his per i really loved the political advisor's performance actually it's like something that just appears in the last act of the film but yeah. he kind of has like this like rodney Dangerfield almost like kind of 
charisma to him. Yeah, yeah. I really, really liked it. And, you know, he's like, ah, like, you don't want to do this. And then so, and then the judge, like, immediately after, you know, he's, like, sending his grandparent or his grandchildren to bed. And his grandchildren are basically, like, ready to kick him in the shins because of what he's doing to Santa Claus. Like, it's really great. Yeah. And then, like, it just repeatedly keeps happening where it's just, like, so much headache. And it, it feels, like, really honest right like it feels Mm -hmm. like something that like you know if you were to prosecute like this old man who who thinks he's santa claus like this like i i think the blowback of that would be like even today would be pretty significant right like it would be like come on man like yeah just have a little bit of spirit you know like this this is this is a little Mm -hmm. bit much like a little bit of a waste of time even yeah and i that's another scene where the psychiatrist is trying to bribe fred into not like going to the public with this and actually making it a big court like he's trying to settle obviously and he's like "Hmm, that's a good idea thank you for that i'm gonna go right to the public (laughs) yeah 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 for sure the the court scenes are all really great and like i said all Mm. the new characters are really great like it's so funny because the way that fred defends chris is like really effective and also like Again, like he's he's basically it's innocent until proven guilty and he's doing a really good job of that, right? Like he's doing a really good job of being like mm-hmm. how do you prove that this isn't Santa Claus kind of thing? And then they kind of eventually they flip it back on him, right? And that yeah. and and they bring up a really good point and they're like, "Well, you know, like you could have a million people come up here and say that this is the real Santa Claus, but you're not really presenting proof other than like children's belief systems, right?" Yeah. They're like bring me some concrete proof. And even a step back to that, like just as a side note, the kid who goes up there, uh, just attorney's kid, like absolutely adorable performance. Yeah. Great performance. He actually on the spot came up with the quote, uh, because my daddy told me so, uh, like that wasn't in the script at all. He just like came up with that on the spot. Yeah. (laughs) It's so effective at tanking the attorney's like case as well. Like, cause cause you're almost like purging the, the attorney, right? Like, you know, as, as the attorney, you yeah, don't yeah. believe it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was like that was one of my favorite court moments in the movie. Like in the court scenes, Jimmy was mm-hmm. just perfect because he looked like a kid that like he was just bouncing around in that little box, like he was like standing up and like he was just so excited to be there as a kid actor, I think, but also yeah. as the kid of the DA and he doesn't really know what he's doing to his dad he's like right daddy <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's so good it's such yeah. a great scene and so when when we get to the moment where they're like well you have to prove that this is the one and only santa claus and good luck basically just mm-hmm. i kind of looked at each other and we were like yeah how are they gonna prove that yeah yeah right? which comes to like the point of again this being a really strong screenplay and story because the way that they solve that question is like one of the most like ridiculously perfect explanations yeah <laughs> to close the film off with basically like the post office and uh grandpa joe just being like what are we doing with all these letters that we got from freaking Santa for freaking Santa Claus? Like what are we going to do with all this dead mail that we have? And they're like, well, there's that court case happening right now. Uh, Why don't we just like dump them all off there to Santa? Like, let's just get rid of all this garbage that we have. Yeah. It was just like a magical coincidence that the, the that's Susan's letter. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it has the courthouse as the delivery 
address. Yeah. 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 Because he's like, oh, that's weird. It's the the, the courthouse on here, and he's like, yeah, I've seen South Pole, I've rock? seen North Pole. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Never seen and the courthouse. Like, <laughs> and as soon as they kind of start to explain that, it's like, oh my God, that's such a smart idea, right? Because this is a literal federal institute that yeah. is basically saying, well, screw it, he's Santa Claus. Yeah. And so like, <laughs> as as the judge, like, how do you, how do you, you can't, you basically, like, and that's the most yeah. concrete evidence. And like, the judge is just looking, like, he's, he's like, please find evidence like he (laughs) his career is resting upon fred finding the actual evidence and he's giving him everything possible so then when he finally gives him something that's like partially legit like yeah it doesn't end the actual questions but it ends like the legal requirement enough and it's christmas eve and he's like like we all have to go home this is perfect and yeah, it's it's such a great, it's so genius how they wrote yeah. that. Like, it's it's probably my favorite part of the script, actually. Yeah, and just like a another little detail that nails it home is just like so many people show up to view this, like Santa at the courthouse, and like they're all in the background, just like jovial and laughing, and like they are mm-hmm. starting to believe. And like when they bring in all the like all the postal workers bring in the bags of uh, mail and dump it on his desk, I I was just watching the background people just laughing like they're like just so in love with the concept and everything that's going on. It, yeah, like, it's hilarious. Everything was yeah, everything was just perfect. Yeah, it, it's one of the best like court scenes in a movie. I think. Yeah, it's it's up there. <laughs> yeah, and then and then like you know we just get a really really great like ending where you know he basically like sends them on this like oh like this is gonna take you less time to get home if you go down this route kind of thing because earlier in the movie we haven't talked about this at all susan drives a hard bargain to like be convinced that he's really santa claus right Mm -hmm. but you do believe her right like she pulls out this uh the thief style picture of uh Mm -hmm. you know what she wants from her life uh and it's this like house and and she you know wants a family like in this house kind of thing yeah yeah and and like that's so genuine especially for a girl like as as pragmatic as she has been yeah like she's like this is my only wish and if santa can do it then i'll believe fully yeah and it's uh something that as uh people in our 30s who live with our parents still uh it's also something that you can really connect to yeah yeah i would love a house <laughs> santa please bring me a house <laughs> and again like it's really heartfelt moment like you said like I, I got a little emotional at the end where she's mm-hmm. like literally runs into the house and is screaming like, does it have a, does it have a swing? Oh my God, it has a swing. Like there is one, there is one. Yeah. 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 Oh, and it, it's, and like right before that, after the court case is won, Fred goes back to uh, Doris's house and she's like, I never really doubted you. I, it was just my silly common sense. <laughs> just, I love that line. Just had a good laugh at that line. She was like, oh, like, now, uh, you know, women and their silly common sense. Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it, she was pure common sense, and then now she sees how silly it can be when applied to certain scenarios. So, yeah. Yeah, but for sure. Yeah. Funny scene either way. <laughs> Actually... 
that I was almost going to begin the, the episode by saying as well that you could almost like turn the last scene into a horror movie where the like the uh, his Santa's cane is like sitting on there and they're just like looking at horror like, oh, yeah. my God, he's in the house. <laughs> <laughs> he's been watching us sleep this whole time. When I was just doing research, there's a Conan like late night show bit where they redid the scene where Chris Kringle bonks the psychiatrist. Mm. He says the line, like, there's only one way to deal with guys like you. And then in the clip that they edited, they just had him pull out a gun and shoot him. <laughs> it was <laughs> like really the home funny. Home alone, like, and keep the change, you filthy animal. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. It was just a pistol, but um, oh, they like they enough. blended it so perfectly. You have to watch that <laughs> clip. All right, send it to me after. I will. I'll link it in the description maybe too. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. This is actually kind of closing out some of this. Uh, This is something that I actually didn't notice, but just reading about the movie, it's it's a nice little detail. Susan constantly throughout the movie uh, refers to Doris as mother. Mm. And then when they're celebrating at the retirement home, she actually calls her mommy for the first time. And that's kind of like, you know, like the progressive change uh, yeah, yeah. To, to her. And and then she, she starts being called Susie by Doris as well, right? Right. Okay. So, yeah, it just brings back a little extra childlike joy into their their relationship. Yeah. And yeah. their characters. It's a, yeah. It's a nice little moment, you know? Yeah, that's great. I noticed the Susie part. I didn't notice the mommy part. I didn't notice that either, but uh, I read uh, on set, the actors would, what's her name, Natalie? Natalie Wood? Yeah, Natalie Wood would actually call her Mama Maureen. Yeah. Well, and and they had like a really good relationship, all of them on, yeah, on set, yeah. right? And like, I think that some of the, like not only Natalie Wood, but some of the other actors are starting to think that maybe this was the real deal Santa Claus uh, yeah. there as well. Like he, he just, like the way he carried himself really, it felt genuine, even off screen. Yeah. Like just shooting this movie would have been so fun and just so enjoyable. And everyone has only good things to say. And like they did everything mm-hmm. they could to bring it to life perfectly in a time where like for the set i don't know if we're in the technical discussion we we are now yeah <laughs> effects so, and filming just go for it <laughs> yeah so uh they like at that time they were doing a lot of just filming on sets in hollywood for like everything mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they were like no we have to do like the new york shots for real and like they were on the macy's day parade they had like 14 cameras trying to capture everything they were like people were getting almost frostbitten and the cameras were freezing up and there was like one random house by where they were filming where the whole cast just like was welcomed in for like hot cocoa and stuff oh no way so like <laughs> th- like even random people were like opening their houses to this wonderful christmas production so yeah cuz it was like a historically cold yeah December while they were filming because like you said they filmed like the Macy's Day Parade in 1946 and so they were only able to do the one take of that it was like one of the coldest Macy's Day parades ever it's kind of crazy that they just pulled that off right because like if you think about how many different shots they would have had to grab and like you know the performances even like they would have had to get the performances during like breaks in in the 
parade or at the before the parade yeah. start or after the parade yeah, like, started kind of thing. They w- must have like had a little section where they were like, all right, we need 15 minutes before the parade starts for us to shoot these like three scenes. One take for every one of those. That's all they had. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just awesome. Like they, they knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it was funny because Doris's actor said that she was jealous of Fred and Susan because they got to spend like the Macy's Day Parade inside. Oh yeah, <laughs> while they were doing like all the scenes outside in the cold. So her and uh, her and Chris were were not <laughs> were jealous of of where each of them was filming. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> we talked about this in the primer episode, but I want to highlight this again: the fact that. This, this was released in May, actually, because studio executives wanted to make more money. So they actually kept it a secret that it was a Christmas movie. And if you actually go to the Wikipedia page, you can actually see the five-minute original trailer for the film. And I, I'd recommend mm. you go check it out if you haven't seen it yet, because it's basically like a bunch of studio executives talking about what this movie should be and what this movie should mean to them and it's like this whole like it goes to this whole skit of them on like a hollywood studio set (laughs) which is funny because like you said like it's all filmed like on location as opposed to like the studio sets uh that hollywood even today uses quite a bit but it's very funny watching that and then you know fully understanding what this movie is actually about and even like the idea of going and checking out a christmas movie in may is kind of hilarious yeah i think uh i saw just that they were trying to talk up like this is another maureen o'hara and um yeah if you look at the original like uh poster right john payne like romance or something yeah like if you if you actually look at the original trailer on imdb like they're the two that are displayed on the original poster like in that Mm. big yellow yeah bold coloring whereas you know like this movie is it's chris's movie like if, if if you want to say that anyone like anyone won this movie it's it's yeah. edmund gwen like and he won an oscar for it he did he's the only person to ever portray santa to win an oscar yeah which is crazy because he like it's his only oscar he was uh he has like 90 something acting credits like he's mm-hmm. he was pretty big but this was obviously his biggest and best yeah won the oscar which is awesome just this is completely separate it just came back into my head a technical problem they cut out some scenes that made the progress of the like love story make sense to me i I was like suddenly they're engaged they went from caught up in the moment (laughs) yeah yeah so there was like a late night coffee between uh doris and fred that was cut out and um and then also there's a scene where chris kringle actually was like following them and like setting them up even like setting them up like to cross the line and become a couple right and also like you know he's trying to fulfill uh susie's uh yeah too right he's playing it out it depends on it depends on what point in the timeline that that deleted scene is from really but that would make sense that he like yeah. sees the solution and he's like, oh, okay, these two are almost there. Let's nudge him. Santa's just a really good problem solver. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just a really resourceful guy. I thought this was really interesting, like the alternative 
names for the movie like they went through like a whole list of uh names be- especially because they didn't want to name this like christmas name because of yeah. their plan to make more money sell it, selling it in may mm. um so originally the movie when everybody got the script was called my heart tells me and then it became the big heart it's only human and then the last title before miracle on 34th street was meet me at dawn so a lot of those sound like horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> They're all kind of awful and cheesy. Yeah. <laughs> Miracle on 34th Street is kind of like a, it feels more genuine. It feels more like what this movie, you know, the vibe of this movie, it fits it a lot better than any of those do. And I think that that's part of the reason why the movie has kind of managed to stay relevant is because it's a pretty good name for a movie. Yeah, where is is Thirty Fourth Street? Just where Macy's is, or is it where uh, the courthouse? Uh, it must is? be the where the Macy's is. Yeah. Okay, because Annabelle's main question at the end of this was, "Wait, where was the miracle?" Because <laughs> like, yeah, he won the court case. That it was kind of a miracle, but it wasn't that miraculous. It's like, does the name like really was that the yeah. perfect name? Or Macy's were they... is on Thirty Fourth Street, one fifty one. 34th street west okay okay cool well yeah in that case like i think it's a valid name for for the movie because like the whole plot of the movie centers around him portraying santa at macy's yeah yeah that's true i i can agree it's just was it a miracle (laughs) (laughs) annabelle with the nitpicks this one yeah yeah oh she (laughs) she had a few oh man i guess i'm gonna go into that right now we, you could wait until we get into the, uh, the okay, yeah. our partner review. Okay. I have one question as well, and I'm going to okay. Google it as – sorry, this is – I'm getting into the weeds here. But you know when <laughs> you know when Fred and Chris were going to bed in their side-by-side beds in Fred's apartment? Yeah, the, and the, the two twins or whatever? Yeah. yeah. And uh, Fred was like, I have to answer this question once and for all. Whiskers in or out? <laughs> do you remember that? Yeah, I do. It was as a person who has a beard. It was a very random question that I I don't think anyone has ever even considered asking me before. My initial impression is that's a really old, like let's say, like an old jingle or song or cartoon that happened at that time that would have been mm. relevant right. and would have like been he tucked a, his beard in or something at night. Yeah, yeah, like does. Does he tuck his beard point, in at actually. night? So yeah, that, that just stuck in my head, and I don't know where it came from. Google, does Santa tuck his beard in at night? Yeah, like, if I do that, it just references the movie. <laughs> While you're looking at that, yeah, the everybody on set just, like, absolutely loved Edmund Gwen's performance and, and him as a person. The janitor, Alvin Greenman, called him a dear, dear man. Tommy Morrow Jr., the kid in the court, said in 2001, he was a really nice guy, always happy, always smiling. He had a little twinkle in his eye, like you said in the primer episode, that really, you know, carries through on the the camera. And Maureen O'Hara said, by the time we were halfway through the shoot, we all believed Edmund really was Santa. I've never seen an actor more naturally suited for a role. Which I got to agree, like he deserved, he deserved the Oscar. I I don't think I'll ever say that again for another Christmas movie, mm-hmm. but maybe like Hans Gruber and Die Hard, but otherwise like nobody else <laughs> deserves the Oscar in a Christmas movie, like he did. Yeah, 
it's a once in a lifetime thing for once in a lifetime movie. Like it's yeah, it's just like the perfect person fulfilling the perfect role for them. Yeah, you know, like yeah, you can look back and you could say, well, this this person like embodied this character the best, or this this person this is their best performance. But this is like a truly like this person completely lost themselves in the role, and it's Mm -hmm. like it's almost hard to see like where that person ends and the character begins. Yeah, and, like, just reading about his life, like, Gwen's life, I was so happy for him that, like, he reached the peak because, like, his dad was like, no, you're not going to be an actor. Like, those are, like, you're basically robbing people, paying, like, paying for nothing is what Hmm. movies are and stuff like that. I guess, yeah, growing up, like, in the early 1900s, it would have been a very different, you know, outlook on the budding Hollywood industry. Yeah. Like he was born in England in like 1880 something. And, Mm -hmm. uh, he just had to leave home. His dad kicked him out. So he left home, um, in like 1895 to become an actor. But, uh, yeah. Anyways, I don't know where, where I'm at now. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah. We've talked about how he actually played like the real Santa in the Macy's day parade. Yeah, the Thanksgiving Day Parade. He fulfilled all of the duties of, or most of the duties of a real Santa. He addressed the crowd afterwards. Yeah. He uh, was introduced by the guy who played Mr. Shellhammer, so he got to kind of, you know, live in his role a little bit as well. Right. He got to unveil the mechanical Christmas display that they had in the window at Macy's then, and that was kind of like their symbolic gesture of opening the christmas season in right in new york and which is funny because that was in no on november 28th in 1946 which now like you're looking at christmas november 1st like immediately as yeah. halloween ends right um it's it's funny how you know that that part of capitalism has definitely put, been pushed back yeah yeah like people are putting up their tree on november 31st or whatever yeah, you if you go to the the store on November first, you're going to be listening to Christmas music, right? Yeah, yeah. You might kind of wonder to yourself, like, how did Macy's and Gimbel's both end up like accepting to you know be, be portrayed named. in the way that they were? Yeah, yeah be named yeah. like in this film, they did have to get permission. Like the producers got permission for them to be portrayed this way in the film, but they actually they conditionally approved it. Mm-hmm. They said that they had to see the whole movie finished before they'd actually give the approval and they both had to approve it together yeah or they would have to completely like re-edit the film and they both really happy with that rh macy they wasn't actually alive at this point in time either like he he died like 70 years before this movie was made so wow it's kind of just like a yeah just like you know one of those makes it a little bit more hollywood to have rh macy there of course yeah yeah and i really like the scenes where the two heads of the companies were interacting with chris Mm -hmm. because like it's really when they were taking when they were talking about the check yeah like that was awesome they're just like competing with each other to like make chris kringle happy (laughs) yeah he's like well why don't i write you a check for it right now and then the other guy's like and i'll match the rest and yeah Yeah. that's great Uh, into score really quickly like good classic christmas score you know like these are all the the songs that you've grown up with it's not like you know some 
weird twisted like version of christmas mm-hmm. song so i don't really have much to add to it honestly it was scored by Cyril mockridge who did a bunch of movies in the 30s to the 60s he did che- the original cheaper by the dozen which is kind of neat oh because that was a important ish movie to my childhood mm-hmm. steve martin shout yeah. out steve martin my <laughs> boy and guys and dolls a movie i never heard of but that's what he got nominated for an oscar for so oh yeah uh, looking back at the times and the legacy of the film. We know that the 1994 version, meh. Garbage. Yeah. Garbage. Hate it. Hate it so much. There are some people who have good nostalgia with it. A lot more, Ugh. I think, who have Ugh. bad nostalgia. The biggest yeah. difference from what I read is that instead of the solution to him being Santa or not is that the Department of the Postal Service already accepts him as Santa. They switch it to Doris giving the judge a Christmas card that has a dollar in it, and on the dollar it says, In God We Trust. And she, like, highlighted it. And she's like, you already believe in... You already have, like, something else make-believe on in the American justice system whatever so why not let santa be and they're like okay and it's like that makes no sense well and they bring like a reindeer into the courthouse and stuff i don't know it's just it's just a bad movie i i'm i'm not a fan yeah i don't, I, don't <laughs> I, would, even... I, I could rip on it for a long time although i don't actually remember it all that well apart from <laughs> my disdain for it well if it doesn't give you that right feel then it's not a good christmas movie yeah, oh, 100%. As a side note, Jess and I watched uh, The Brothers Grimm this year because we were scrolling through and Jess was like, oh, like it's, uh, you know, Matt Damon and uh, Heath Ledger movie. Yeah. And she's a big fan of Heath Ledger. And I was like, oh, I remember really despising that movie as a kid. Yeah, yeah it's pretty garbage still. Pretty, yeah. pretty terrible movie. Just doesn't work in any regard. But <laughs> back to Miracle on 34th. So Maureen O'Hara kind of reflecting on this movie later in her life in her autobiography she she said that everyone felt the magic on the set and we knew that we are creating something special i'm very proud to have been a part of a film that has been continually shown and loved all over the world for nearly 60 years it's endured all of this time because of the special relationship with the cast and crew the uplifting story and the message of hope and love which steals hearts all over the world every year i don't think i'll ever tired of children asking me are you the lady who knows santa claus and i always answer yes i am what do you like what would you like me to tell him <laughs> just just really heartwarming yeah all that sentiment great. from her there's a weird like this is kind of goes back to like those those things that they bring up in like this movie from the 40s that you kind of almost have to think like am i not in on the joke anymore when the doctor brings up the point of the russian prince yeah. And who's a restaurant owner kind of thing. That's a real story, actually. Like, that's a real famous Hollywood story from the 40s. The guy's name, if you want to look this up, is Michael Romanoff. And so he owned this restaurant in Hollywood uh, that a bunch, like, that was really famous at the time. And he, like, he said that he was a, a Russian prince, but he was just basically like a con man. Um, yeah. Who just, you know, I saw that as well. Wild stories. Yeah. It's really yes. cool. Read. Yeah. You that's can read pretty- into his backstory online. It's It's really interesting. Yeah. Was it New York, though? I thought it was New York. No, it, it was uh, Hollywood. Hollywood. Okay, right. Yeah. And like I kind of alluded to earlier in the episode, the idea of Doris being a divorcee was like mm. really taboo at the time. Like they actually got a lower rating 
for the film because I think it was probably the church morally objected to it. I believe Maureen O'Hara was a divorced mother. And that's like in real life. Yeah. I think it was in real life. She also was. Oh, wow. Which is like part of why she did so well in it. I think like she, she was embodying that character quite well. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, when they were chewing the gum, like Santa and uh, Susie were chewing gum. Yes. (laughs) Like she just put it back into a box in her drawer. Yeah. That was weird and gross. Yeah. Did, did they used to just, chew gum over and over and over uh you know what i as uh somebody who does enjoy gum i bet you back in the day gum was better i like you know back like 80 years ago mm. i bet you gum was like mm, yeah like real good quality i remember when uh like i had a great aunt or something and she would all like i would see her every once in a while probably for christmas and she'd be like you know back in the day we didn't even have gum we just chewed pine sap i've heard that before you know what though it was probably grandpa joe gave her some of that on set after he toured the willy wonka yeah yeah there's the connection to the uh the (laughs) legacy of the film okay yeah so macy's and gimbals and their rivalry actually very real in real life like they yeah at the time they were just like you know a couple blocks away from each other in new york and there was actually a quote back in like that time period and it was a question does macy's tell gimbals Mm, which means like are the business competitors sharing secrets with one another and so like that being like a really key part of the story of like yeah you know sending macy's the santa sending them to gimbals to buy uh things is like a really like you know trying to bring people together It's it's a really cool like you know way to use that phrase yeah yeah so they they took something the public already knew and they changed it in a positive way mm-hmm. was macy's funding this film <laughs> <laughs> is this all propaganda and we're just loving it <laughs> yeah we're just laughing it up for sure notice how so many people call him santi claus no i didn't notice that i guess i just assumed it was like part of the new york accent yeah i, I I just like I remember hearing it every once in a while like every Christmas you might kind of hear it in like I don't know an old commercial or something but mm-hmm. yeah like I don't know if it was just New York or if it was just old timey Santa Claus it's just an interesting little catch Fair oh, enough. we didn't mention his employment card what's on it oh it's great it's so funny he his next of kin are all of the reindeer uh notably not Mrs. Claus which is even better yeah where was she although mrs claus might not be part of like the old school like story of santa claus right yeah yeah there's a chance that it's not if date of birth or or age was like as old as my tongue but older than slightly older than my teeth yeah yeah one second oh how very thematic annabelle bringing in the christmas cheer yeah it's actual cocoa hot cocoa nice i'm just drinking whiskey (laughs) oh I hope this one's spiked. <laughs> it's got triple the amount of uh Bailey's. Yeah. We did we we mentioned how Edmund Gwen won an Academy Award best supporting role. So the other Academy Awards that they won were uh Valentine Davies, which I didn't mention best writing. Like he actually wrote a story for this movie. He wanted to write the screenplay and so he kind of like wrote a full story and then 
the director kind of adapted it as a screenplay. Um, so he won best writing and best original story. And then the director, George Seaton won uh, best writing for screenplay. It did get nominated for best picture as well, which is pretty notable. Like, I don't think there are many other Christmas movies that have been nominated for best picture. Mm. It lost to the gen to gentlemen's agreement, a film I've not heard of, but it is considered yeah. like one of the best movies of 1947. And I, I mean, I, I fully agree with that. I, I really had a lot of fun with this one. Yeah. And, I was trying to come in and be a little more critical because I did see a few flaws here and there, but I can't hate this movie. I can't dislike any of it. I liked it. I fucking, I love it. <laughs> that, well, that's where I ended up too, right? Like I came in predisposed not to like this movie because yeah, I've only seen yeah. the 1994 version. I was like, I am not going to enjoy this movie. I kind of wish that I had like decided to veto it, but I uh, like, yeah. I, you know, I let the, I let the chips lay where they lie and, yeah. uh, you know, American Film Institute lists this movie as number five fantasy film of all time, number nine out of their hundred years, hundred cheers list, and then it's nominated for some other top like award films. Nineteen eighty five is when this uh, film was colorized from black and white. Hmm. It was actually one of the first movies to ever get colorized. Wow. Uh, so it's kind of notable in that sense. It took four and a half months to do. And now if you're buying the movie, you're probably, if you're picking up the Blu-ray of it, it actually comes with both the black and white and the colored version, most likely. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So you can check out both of them. Again, though, like you and I both agree that this is, like I haven't seen the colored version of this, but the col- the the black and white just really adds to kind of that like old school growing up as a kid, like watching, yeah. you know, the Christmas Carol or something like that in black and white. Yeah. And what was that other? Oh, A Beautiful Life. Uh, a Wonderful Life. It's A Wonderful Life. Yeah. Yeah. So that was another option for what we were going to cover. I've never seen that one, actually. My parents oh. were not big fans of that one. I, th- I thought it was great. I watched it a- quite a while ago, but it's a it's a great movie. Yeah, we'll do it maybe next year for the podcast. Um, yeah, and like I like the I like that we did this one because I hadn't seen it and it fully embodies like especially like watching it in black and white. It embodies that nostalgic childlike feeling of Christmas. Yeah, like I'm actually sure. going into this Christmas probably more jovial than ever before because I started watching this. Yeah, no, honestly, like, that's a good point. I'm probably similar. Like, I really, really like this. And that gets into our personal reviews and the partner factor. Honestly, I I had an absolute blast with this. Like, so did Jess. Like, her and I are both pretty gripped the whole movie. Like, it's only an hour and 35 minutes or so. Yeah. So it's, it's not like it's a long movie either. And, you know, we were both just fully hooked. Like, there was never a time where I was, my mind was really swaying. Like, there was a I think there was one time early in the film where I, I just had to Google something because I was so interested in something mm. um, going on. <laughs> it's for me, like this is honestly like probably a top 10 Christmas movie for me now. It's not my top like three, but it, you know, we'll see. Maybe it, maybe it moves into top five, get a couple yeah. more Christmases in with this one. It's, this is a really, really, really good Christmas movie. Yeah. Like I can't say where it fits because I, I don't, classically like loved watching christmas movies mm-hmm. but like there's home alone and uh christmas vacation yeah like there's there's a few there so like yeah it's in the top 10 probably because i only have like six <laughs> yeah true that's fair 
for me like honestly like my favorite is christmas vacation die hard probably home alone not long after that kind of thing the first harry potter for me yeah you could consider that a christmasy movie happy christmas harry happy christmas ron I think we talked about this like two years ago, but uh, Eyes Wide Shut, I don't think we're not saying Christmas movie. Oh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> we both love that. I got to revisit that one again. Yeah. Like that was, that was a great movie. So I have like a, Annabelle didn't get into it. Maybe she wasn't primed and ready to watch. She didn't like, have the Christmas spirit like Jess and I did. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so she, at a certain point, she's like, this is boring. There's just lots of men who look the same in too many offices and not enough miracles. <laughs> <laughs> just no, not pulling any of the like uh, punches. Eh? Yeah. 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 I should have made her some cocoa and told her, and maybe I should have watched the colorized version with her then she might have been more into it she's a little bit of a miser (laughs) yeah only for this one actually i'll say as well that jess and i jess doesn't usually let me turn the lights off while we watch movies even though in my opinion that's the best way to watch a movie i wouldn't trust you in the dark (laughs) (laughs) i am sneaky but uh we have the christmas tree up now and yeah. so we, uh, I, I convinced her that it would be fine if we turned the lights off because the Christmas tree was giving off some light. Yeah, there and you it go. just like it again made it like set you know more. Yeah, yes, more set to the mood that way for sure. What about your thoughts? Give me your thoughts, and and then after that, tell me Annabelle's grapes. I basically said hers, and I think uh, okay. I've said mine as well. But like, yeah, overall it was good. I really liked the characters. I liked like the setting just old new york is always great Mm. and Mm -hmm. like it made me want to dive deeper into like what i saw in the background like at one point you see a gm building i was like i wonder if that's still there and what it looks like or like what that corner looks like now what does macy's look like on the outside now yeah so i got pretty into that and like i shed a tear at the end so obviously it was a good uh like heartwarming movie with good performances I think Annabelle was coming into it judging the judging it. So like that's has she seen the 1994 version? No, I don't think so. Okay, okay. So she she, hasn't been spoiled by that either. Yeah, I think maybe she did, but like she doesn't remember too much of it or anything. Like no clear memory of it. But I think overall, she would be a good representation of the modern audience going into this cold. Mm. where they might be like turned off by it and be like, ah, I don't know. I'm not going to finish it. I'm going to go watch Home Alone or something else. But um, I think if a modern audience is primed properly with some cocoa and some Christmas lights and mm. the idea that like, hey, this is a, like actually really heartwarming, great Christmas movie that will give you some nostalgia and childlike wonder then then it's definitely definitely holds up and you know hopefully we sold uh audiences on that in the primer episode yeah i hope so otherwise i think that's it so we're we're getting into the end of the year end of 2023 which means we're going to be doing our top five movies of the year the rules of that being that it has to be your first or second viewing of the movie that you put on your top five list yep. to kind of make it, you know, so that we're not picking the Godfather every year or something yeah. like that. <laughs> and it all, it just, it makes our list really creative, I find. And and it also makes it somewhat difficult when 
I watched like a hundred movies this year. Yeah, I started off the year strong, writing down every movie I watched, and dropped yeah. off quickly, just like every <laughs> New Year's resolution. <laughs> yeah, true, true. I I did. A, I think I did a pretty good job of remembering them. But honestly, like if you don't remember the movie, was it you know that good? Like I think there was one movie that I maybe would have considered a little bit more last year for my top five if I had remembered it. But then again, I didn't remember it. So does mm-hmm. that speak to how much I enjoyed that movie a little bit? You know? Um, yeah. So we've got that coming up, which is really exciting. And then, and also, you know, like that episode, get ready to give us your top five list too. Like I'd love to get some movie recommendations, stuff that I missed this year or stuff that you checked out, old movies that you checked out that we should do on the podcast in the the coming year. Cause you know, the slate's pretty wide open for next year. I think the only movie that we've got picked right now is for my movie selection in January, we're doing Tremors. Ooh, fun. Yeah. Have you seen Tremors? Uh, no, I have not. So fun, I've fun seen, story about, yeah, sorry. You know what? I'll, sh- I'll share my fun story about Tremors when we do Tremors, but it's significantly better than you might expect. But anyway, so yeah, throw, throw out some, some of your favorite movies that you watched this year and who knows, maybe I'll get to them before we record the next, that episode. Although. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy new year. Don't forget to tell your dad about us over the Christmas holidays. Yeah, he's seen these and loves them, all of these yeah. movies. Yeah, maybe he shed a tear as well. You know, your your stoic father shed a tear <laughs> over this child and her swing. <laughs> all right, well, we'll see you next time. All right, bye.